Welcome ravenous readers and culture consumers to Bohemian Geek Studies. The place where nerdy knights gather together to dip fondue and share some barbecue. Uh, no, uh, share our insatiable thirst for intellectual discussions about our favorite books, shows, and movies. Each episode of BGS is meant to be enjoyed by everyone, but we encourage you to listen to the episode first without younglings to make sure that it's right for the whole family. Last time, we got to finally pass go and enter the hallowed and often dreaded halls of Crunchum Hall Elementary School. On our first day of school, we watched Miss Honey talent scout her young students and find a ringer in Matilda due to her incredibly advanced multiplication skills, ability to read, and her ability to write a lovely, lyrical limerick. This episode, your hosts with the most detailed dorky dives include myself, Sarah O'Connor, the queen of queries, lady of literature, and defender of droids. Will Lee, grammarian inquisitor, lord charcuterie, and keeper of lengthy records. And I'm Flo Siegel, ambassador from Naboo, Chudley Cannon's aficionado and manager of mischief. Woot woot! This episode is part two of our exploration of the theme, Class is Now in Session. During this episode, we'll meet the terrifying Miss Trunchbull for the first time in Chapter 8 and explore some headcanon and vocab theories on who Miss Trunchbull is as a character. With that roadmap in mind, let's start with our short recap into Chapter 8, The Trunchbull. As soon as there's a break in classes, Miss Honey headed straight for Trunchbull's office, giddy about Matilda's abilities and the miracle she and the youngest class just witnessed. Miss Honey was intelligent enough to know that while she didn't yet know enough about Matilda's talents, she was well on her way to discovering the wonders of this small, extraordinary girl. Because Miss Honey also knew that Matilda was well beyond the level expected of her similarly aged peers, Miss Honey prepared herself to fight on Matilda's behalf to propel this gifted girl into a higher level as soon as possible. Emboldened by the magic of Matilda, Miss Honey prepared herself to take on the dreaded Miss Trunchbull in the giantess's lair, the headmistress's office. Come in, come in, whoever you are. <laughs> Actually, it's about the, the, the new girl in my class, Miss Trunchbull, Matilda Wormwood. Her father says she's a real wart. A what? A carbuncle, a blister, a festering pustule, a malignant ooze. Oh, no. Matilda Wormwood is a very sweet girl. And very bright. A bright child? Yes. She can multiply large sums in her head. So can a calculator. Well... I think she might be happier in, in an older and in a more advanced class. Ah, I knew it. You can't handle the little viper, so you're trying to foist her off on one of the other teachers. No, 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 Miss Trunchbull. Yes, typical, slothful cowardice. Listen to me, Jen. The distance the shot put goes depends upon the effort you put into it. Perspiration! If you can't handle the little brat, I'll lock her in the chokey! <laughs> Day, Jen, you'll see that everything I do is for your own good. And the good of those putrescent little children! And though Miss Honey was unable to convince Miss Trunchbull of Matilda's talent, she walked out of the office feeling by no means defeated, vowing that she would do something to help Matilda. So to start us off for our detailed jerky dive, we're going to look at one of the first quotes that kind of sets the stage on the character relationship between one of our most beloved 
and most feared teachers. Quote, normally, Miss Honey was terrified of the headmistress and kept well away from her. But at this moment, she felt ready to take on anybody. And to me, this is one of my favorite lines because it reads like a Phoenix song. Can a young woman, or anyone for that matter, be brave if they are afraid? And to me, to George R. R. Martin, to House Stark of Winterfell, that just rings true. How about for you two? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, this is where we see Miss Honey challenged. Um, she, she's she got to, as a teacher, she must see it as her duty to to advocate for uh, for Matilda here. And, and, and that means confrontation, which, uh, which she certainly, we've learned by now, uh, is, is not somebody who, who really, who really wants it, especially with, uh, with Miss Trunchbull, but she's, she's going to take it on. Yeah, as a teacher, I know how hard this is. It's really hard to go against your administrators, especially if your administrator is the Trunchbull, which thankfully mine are not. But yeah, it is really hard to put yourself out there and be vulnerable to whatever their whims might dictate. I was wondering, kind of based on your hot take last time, Flo, (laughs) do we think she has a little bit of added moxie and courage because there's a little bit more skin in the game, perhaps? When I first read it as a kid, I looked at Miss Honey and I saw her as someone who immediately saw a diamond in the rough. But you aptly and correctly pointed out you know, that diamond is a little bit sharp too. Do you get a sense in that? Or am I just now reading too much into this because of something you correctly pointed out? (laughs) Well, thank you. I think in this case, Miss Honey is 100% correct in what she's doing. I think she's seeing a problem. She's trying to fix it. Matilda is definitely in the wrong class. I'm not so sure socially, emotionally. We just don't know enough yet. I think Matilda is pretty good. I mean, we know that she makes friends later on in the book, but definitely educationally, she's not she's not yeah. in the right space. So it's great that Miss Honey is seeing that problem and is differentiating for her students. That's a huge, huge deal. So good job, Miss Honey. Gold star. Yeah. And as far as Miss Honey knows, Matilda's never shoved a parrot or any other sentient being up a chimney. So that's also in Matilda's favor. Right. That's true. <laughs> she doesn't know about the vengeance part of it. Uh-uh. Yes. Yes, that's right. And so I think for for us, one of the additional things that Flo is talking about here is because Miss Trunchbull is an administrator, there's a power dynamic here. But we'll also get into in later chapters, it's not just a normal teacher-administrator relationship because, spoiler alert, they do have a family connection that only once we as readers and Matilda as a student become closer with Miss Honey, that we begin to learn something that seemingly no one else in the school knows about, right? Right, yeah, some old-fashioned nepotism. Yeah, some classic, (laughs) yeah, some classic uh, under-experience, but we're going to put you in the school anyway and take all your wages. (laughs) Right. Resume on top of the on top of the stack. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of resume on the top of the stack, Miss Trunchbull doesn't make the best decisions kind of consistently throughout this book. But she's not alone in this. And one of those things is Miss Trunchbull's take on Mr. Wormwood. Quote, yeah, I liked Wormwood, a real pillar of our society. He told me the daughter was a bad lot, though. He said to watch her. 
He said if anything bad ever happened in the school, it was certain to be his daughter who did it. I haven't met that little brat yet, but she'll know about it when I do. Her father said she's a real wart. Thanks, Dad. That's nice. So she thinks that Mr. Wormwood, Miss Trunchbull, that is, is an excellent man having just purchased a car from him. And she gushes about him and she she loves the quote unquote deal that she got. And we know because we've been in the Wormwood household, honey, you've just been sold a lemon, but you haven't made that lemonade yet. And Miss Honey also, she doesn't necessarily know about the truth of Mr. Wormwood until the very very end of the book, right? Right. Yeah, it's not clear. I think at the end of the book, Miss Honey s- says something to the effect of like, oh, everybody knows he's he's in it deep, right? Right. But it's, it's not really clear how long they've known about it. Or maybe just Miss Trunchbull is, is naive. I, I, I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not very clear. Yeah. Right, right, right. Now, Flo, have you, to the extent you're able to talk about this, have you ever dealt with this situation where parents may tell you one thing about a kid and in the classroom setting, that is not what you see? Or <laughs> or perhaps vice versa. My little darling Matilda is a perfect angel. She wouldn't dye your hair until it falls out at all. Yeah, I definitely see the latter more often. (laughs) (laughs) Parents who just cannot believe that their child would push another student, hit another student, not get 100% on the math test. We see that, I mean, every single day. That actually just happened to me last week. But I have had the former also happen. I currently have a student who shall remain nameless. Who is she who the, shall not be named? <laughs> he who shall not be named. Ooh, in this he. Case. <laughs> it narrows it down to yep. just seven of my students. <laughs> um, he is the most lovely, darling, incredible student in my class. He is so Aww. quiet and just like you just want to squeeze him because he's just so sweet. Um, he just wrote a like 22 chapter nonfiction book on dinosaurs. How old Anyways, is he? The most He's <laughs> and it's so cute and comic and, and illustrated and just so adorable. But Her. his mother is also a retired teacher. And ah. she was telling me that at home, he is the classic middle child Hellion. Mm-hmm. And he will like throw things and break things. And I'm like, my student? Are you joking? <laughs> <laughs> so we do have some of that. But... <laughs> So it's it sounds very much like what exactly Roald Dahl cautioned us about in The Reader of Books, right? Where oh, totally. we put on the blinders and our darling Matilda couldn't couldn't do a darn thing wrong. And that's the hardest thing for teachers, too. I know that when I was a kid, if I got a bad grade on a test, my parents were going to be like, you didn't study. Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Nowadays, it's like, you get a bad grade on a test. Well, what did the teacher do wrong? What's yep. happening in class that's not happening correctly? All the blame is put on teachers. And it's really, 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 really hard to deal with. <laughs> yep. Kind of like it sounds you, Miss Honey defends Matilda to Miss Trunchbull, not willing to take this kind of slander of her student lying down. But Miss Trunchbull refuses to listen and theorizes that Matilda was probably the one who apparently placed a stink bomb under her desk in the morning before railing against all of these little girls, which reminds me like 
time check, is Jenny Weasley in the house? Because that's totally a Weasley student kind of thing. Totally. And, and to be fair, Trunchbull and Miss Honey don't know this, but our girl Matilda freaking loves chemical warfare. So if I was on the staff and knew kind of what home life was like, I hate to say it, but she'd be probably on my short list. How about you two? Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, it really depends, who, like, if CPS was called and what they <laughs> saw in that house. <laughs> yeah. So let me drop the quote that will be our last one before we do our character study of Miss Trunchbull, where we unpack some of our tinfoil and headcanon theories. And that is, quote, I have discovered, Miss Honey, Miss Trunchbull says, during my long career as a teacher, that a bad girl is far more dangerous a creature than a bad boy. What's more, they're much harder to squash. Woo! I both love and loathe this idea. Flo, what was your student's hot take in the classroom on this? Well, first of all, we talk a lot about gender inequalities in my classroom. So the awesome. fact that there was any sort of separation between boys and girls present in this quote was completely like unfathomable to my students, um, which is great. I love right. that. Progress. Progress is great. <laughs> From a professional standpoint, I've been teaching. This is my ninth year in the classroom now. I have found that a bad uh -oh. girl is more dangerous than a bad boy. All right. Why? Um, why? Get some, it's a different kind of warfare. Okay. All right. Um, the girls tend to turn on each other very quickly, mm -hmm. even mm -hmm. at the very young age that I teach, which is really a testament to how we're not teaching our girls properly to empower other girls mm -hmm. and other women. And they don't see a lot of female leadership that and proper female leadership. A lot of times they'll see people who are bossy and yeah. how that's looked down upon. So a lot of that comes from society. But I do find that girls tend to get into a lot of squabbles with each other, whereas boys will be more likely to engage in physical violence, mm -hmm. but then it's over, yeah. um, which makes that a lot easier to squash as a teacher. Whereas the girl, quote unquote, girl drama Yep. is is really difficult he said he said she said she said she said sort of dealio yes yeah. yeah it's it's rough in the classroom that's sort of what my college thesis was about Ooh. yeah way way back in the day you know a decade or so ago I did a thesis on what was it the fancy title along the lines of college women's um, relationship with relational aggression and physical aggression mm. and their belief systems. And it was really interesting to see, and granted, correlation is not causation, but it was interesting to see how certain beliefs regarding acceptable behavior translated into self-reported behaviors. Um, and it's definitely something that I've always thought about. There was back in the day, something called the Ophelia Project when I was in middle school. Unfortunately, the program, at least when I did it, no longer existed, no longer exists. But once we became high school students, we could go into middle schools and talk after training, talk to middle school girls about how to properly engage in distressing situations, talking with one another and communicating in a healthy way. So it's wonderful to see someone in your position flow 
thinking about these things and talking about these things with six-year-olds. But Will, you've got a young boy. Do we uh, do we want to push back at all? Do you want to agree? Granted, you've all, you, we've only got a case study of one for you right now. But what's your take on this? Well, what I think is interesting, um, I mean, Flo kind of um, picked up on this. It's a lot of it's social, right? A lot of it's because of society um, yeah. and how um, our society might teach girls and women to compete with each other in different ways and not necessarily prop each other up, but tear each other down, see each other as competition or as threats. And we may, we may see that at a very early age. I mean, my son actually, I think, gets along better with his his female classmates than his than his male classmates. But he, mm-hmm. but I totally agree with Flo. With with boys, it seems like. Like, you know, he'll he'll come home and say so and so was was pushy today. But mm. he also is at least emotionally aware enough that he can walk away. You know, he, he doesn't have that. He hasn't gotten to the point where there's drama that really rises above that yet. So, yeah. Yeah. On Not the flip yet. side, my daughter is very physical. So. Is she? <laughs> yeah, Gosh, she's, fisticuffs. Yeah, Charlotte uh, has a biting issue and a pushing oh, issue. Yeah. <laughs> that was my little sister. She was yeah. always chomping on me back in the day. But maybe that's because we're raising her in such like a gender-inclusive environment that she feels like she can do those things. The silver lining. And I I remember, and I don't know if this rings a bell for either two of you, but I swear I remember reading something about kind of in corporate settings, there seems to no longer be a like one woman or one person of color at the table. It's now kind of like a once you hit two, then too bad, so sad. Does do you two remember that at all? I swear I remember reading something about this, but I'm not the best person to speak on this issue by far. I'm not either because education is completely different, especially yeah. lower school education. It's like mm. 99% women. And Work. at least my school is like 95% white teachers. So yeah. um, we're around the table. It's really an echo chamber. Gotcha. I don't know about any specific studies, but what what you're talking about, Sarah, rings rings a bell, and I think that there's a lot of truth to that, um, especially in in large law firm settings, uh, which yeah. we're both used to. It's not exactly tokenism, but it's kind of like the next step, but it's That's, not necessarily yes. past that. Yeah, that was my understanding. It was kind of like, well, we quote unquote know what tokenism is, and right. so as long as we have two tokens, right then then we're totally not doing it. And so, like, let's talk about happier things like Miss Trunchbull and how she became <laughs> the wonderfully magical, happy, I am totally lying, terrifying teacher that she is. Principal, Cruncham Hall Elementary School. <clears throat> I warn you, sir, I want a tight car because I run a tight ship. Oh, yeah, huh? Well, uh, My I... school is a model of discipline. Use the rod, beat the child. That's my motto. And with that, let's get into our detailed derky dive for today into Miss Trunchbull. Dahl writes, Miss Trunchbull, the headmistress, was something else altogether. She was a gigantic holy terror 
a fierce, tyrannical monster who frightened the life out of the pupils and teachers alike. There was an aura of menace about her, even at a distance, and when she came up close, you could almost feel the dangerous heat radiating from her as from a red-hot rod of metal. When she marched, Miss Trunchbull never walked. She always marched like a stormtrooper with long strides and arms swinging. When she marched along a corridor, you could actually hear her snorting as she went. And if a group of children happened to be in her path, she plowed right on through them like a tank, with small people bouncing off her to left and right. Thank goodness we don't meet many people like her in this world, although they do exist, and all of us are likely to come across at least one of them in a lifetime. Bravo. What a character, huh? Yeah. Yes. One of the first things that came to my mind about Miss Trunchbull was just how physical uh, Doll writes her as, right? She Absolutely. She's just this presence, you know, walking through the halls, kids literally bouncing off of her left and right. It's interesting to t- think about Matilda as kind of, and, and I've read a couple of articles on this, um, as this work that the LGBT community has embraced. One of the, the quotes that I know people have really enjoyed is that Dahl, Dahl wrote that that books gave Matilda a, a comforting message, you are not alone. And a lot of LGBT people have picked up on that. But then we get this Miss Trunchbull character, which is really kind of problematic in that there's this Trunchbull character who who reads as other both right. sexually and otherwise, um, and she's she's villainous for for a bunch of reasons. So I think we can talk about how how that works, how that all works out. Absolutely, Flo. Before we parse out some of the LGBTQ ramifications a little bit in one of the tinfoil theories, anything about this particular opening quote from Chapter Seven that struck you at all? Honestly, like I would just be so scared to meet her in the hallway, both as a teacher and a student. It's it's just not what we see in schools at all. And I'm really confused as to how she got her job or if she like built the school. I'm really just concerned as to who hired her as an administrator. Who is your boss? Yeah. <laughs> how who did she this report happen? to? I'm so confused. I found that kind of as an opening contrast, very interesting, the religious connotations that we talked about briefly, Miss Honey as this virginal untouchable Mary Madonna-like figure, and Trunchbull, this almost unattractive, overly physical, brutish of a masculine woman, and tying those things as to be unattractive, kind of showing them as mirror opposites, though neither one of those descriptions are are quite flattering. And I'm, I'm wondering, thinking out loud, what characters of dolls do you walk away from? Maybe just James Trotter and go, yes, you are perfect as is, sir. And 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 you folks know some of the books that I'm not familiar with, but maybe one of the reasons that there's so much pushback with Matilda is because we see gray characters and even and even those characters that the great characters like Matilda I would argue fight against are just yikes like you said Flo I do not want to come across this woman at all right yeah i know i'm trying to go back into my rolodex of all doll. of the roll doll books that i've mm-hmm. read and the only character that i truly think is like a great character is the nameless narrator boy from the witches 
Ah, he's mm-hmm. fabulous. Um, spoiler. Yeah. He turns into a mouse. <laughs> but <laughs> he's like the sweetest, kindest, like most good hearted, just the best little person ever. I was yeah. going to say his grandmama, but she like really heavily smokes cigars. And I, I was going to say her like too. Intense. Yeah. The chain smoking is a little intense, but otherwise I totally agree. She was the, she was going to be the other character I was going to name as being kind of this, this doll character that both is good in terms of being a protagonist, but also transcends a lot of stereotypes and, and yeah. is not so not so black and white. Like he might write, and with 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 Matilda and these characters and teachers, these adult characters that that we see in schools, I almost wonder if if Dahl was trying to write from a, a child's perspective, like you know right. a, a kid uh, who's like you know under four feet tall, uh, walking through the the hallways and seeing this giant administrator who knows how giant they really are Absolutely. but they're just so in, in, in intimidating a character that this kind of description of his trunchbull is really going to resonate with them and, and and of course he's also going to caricaturize or, or play up um the the, of the traits uh of of miss trunchbull or miss honey you know we can we can talk at length about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. And I, I mean, despite the darkness, Dahl does masterfully insert little moments of magic. Like there's an aura around her. You can feel some sort of like pulsating caution that you might get in the nature and the wild with the animals, with the bright colors. Like you immediately know, keep back, stay away. I'm trying to think like in James and the Giant Peach, the dangerous rhinoceros, right? This mm-hmm. is this is a person not to be trifled with. And this idea of red hot rod of metal, now that we can do a little bit of a adult content there, it makes me giggle in hindsight when we talk about some of this, well, is Miss Trunchbull truly a miss? Was this a time in society that this person could not truly be who she, he, or they truly want to be. And continuing with the magic, the idea of these kids who fly through the air on their pigtails, bouncing off of the woman. You know, I'm, I guess I'm bad and good in this regard where I try and look at these very terrifying characters and go, okay, what, what kind of magic or good might be present here? And undeniably, Miss Trunchbull at least radiates or is surrounded by some sort of magic, especially if we consider that Matilda is magic or um, can use her telekinetic powers. Regardless, we're getting instances when we read this book time and time again of these potentially witch and wizard children gravitating towards our first sort of Lord Voldemort. It's like the um, first level boss, if you will. Before you can make it to Hogwarts, you have to face the Trunchbull. Wrapping up on the apparent magic that surrounds Miss Trunchbull. Now, I'm not excusing her behavior, and I'm totally 100% biased towards my theory that she's definitely got some anger management issues that impact her ability to properly test her students' magical capabilities in this pre-Hogwarts institution, but she is surrounded by and or attracts students with magical and or extraordinary capabilities and not just 
on the multiplication table, as we see in later chapters, things like a child being able to swallow an entire chocolate cake well beyond his means, or a little girl who can fly several, several yards being flung on her pigtails without a single scratch. Neville Longbottom anyone, anyone. And so I really, truly believe that this is a Hogwarts feeder school and that Miss Trunchbull is the level one boss before we get to Hogwarts and have to battle he who must not be named. And yikes to the handful of 12-year-olds at Crunchum Hall who might end up as, quote-unquote, just squibs or muggles because the class that has to graduate Crunchum Elementary School and go to whatever Muggle High School has to be pretty petite. <laughs> and I really like how you uh, talk about Miss Trunchbull as a level one boss because it kind of, it really kind of illustrates something that I really like about what Dahl does in this book, which is that there's so much that's just kind of mundane, right? The, right. about the parents the schooling but then he he tiptoes up to the line of something that's magical a few times um like bruce bogtrotter eating the cake um and 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 uh and somebody being able to fly by their pigtails um before going completely whole um wholeheartedly into uh the realm of magical with matilda moving um being being telekinetic and yeah. th that's something that i've always thought uh is is very cool about this book very true. Just just a taste, precious, until the whole world opens up wide magically. That's wonderful. So I think now would be an excellent time for us to turn to one of arguably the most important headcanon theories, and that is whether or not Miss Trunchbull is actually a miss or not. Flo, do you want to start us on that adventure? Sure. Again, I'm reading this book to my class right now. My class is made of six and seven-year-olds. And the first inkling that we have that Miss Trunchbull might not be a miss is when she, well, first her description, and then she tells us that she was never a little girl, that she despises little girls. She was never a little girl. And my students immediately, again, I work at a progressive California school, but my students immediately said, oh, well, she was probably born a boy. She's transgender. So that was kind of a light bulb in my mind that didn't appear to me when I was reading the book as a third grader. Um, I didn't know what transgender was what it meant i didn't know anybody who was transgender and so i just think that's such a beautiful reading and to me it tells me so much about what agatha is going through what she's had to go through at this time in this place in this tiny village and that maybe the kids bouncing off of her is because she's casting a protego because she's been hurt oh, a lot just yeah that's that, there's a lot to unpack here <laughs> Um, but I was so heartened that my students got that and it felt so good. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting because kind of like you said, you you start to wonder what she might have gone through, yeah. um, especially since this would have been taking place in a day and age where uh, where people didn't acknowledge transgender as 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 uh, as a legitimate um, as a le legitimate group or as 
some something legitimate at all. And to talk a little bit about how people have looked at Miss Trunchbull previously, they mentioned um, how Matilda is really important to uh, LGBT uh, communities, um, and they've. And, and people have long uh, felt that the character Miss Trunchbull is is kind of problematic because she, uh, she has a very masculine appearance. the The tradition when Matilda is uh, converted to stage is actually for a man to play Miss Trunchbull. Wow, um, I didn't and, know yeah, that. Yeah, and it's it, it really it really makes the character an interesting one and also a problematic one because because of how we've like we've talked about before how she's contrasted between how Miss Trunchbull contrasts with Miss Honey to share again just kind of hammer, to hammer it in the 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 importance of uh, Matilda, the text to LGBT communities. The opening lines of the film version are are everyone is born, but not everyone is born the same. Mm-hmm. One way or another, though, every human being is unique, for better or for worse, and that really sets the stage. And Miss and and Miss Trunchbull presents a kind of a problem in that reading. But if we can kind of talk honestly about her character and what she might have had to go through, it, it at least makes the reading a little more interesting, in in my view, rather than just having her being um, this kind of hyper masculinized villain who doesn't fit into normative feminine stereotypes. Right. And and I, I wonder, just thinking out loud, since Miss Honey, as she's written, seems to fit that archetype so neatly, or at least that archetype as it existed back when Dahl wrote this book, mm-hmm. it almost sets up a natural arch nemesis rivalry of sorts between what Miss Trunchbull is told she should be for the longest time and mm-hmm. that kind of memory of of her brother whom she could never be and this daughter to whom she's supposed to have guardianship over but she can't relate to at all because Miss Honey as written, seems quite maternal and cares for her students and going to Flo talking about glad I was never one of those dirty, nasty little girls. She talks about squashing a bad girl is like trying to squash a blue bottle. And so for our first vocab moment, a blue bottle or the blue bottle that I think Miss Trunchbull is referring to is a common blowfly, which is a kind of bug with a metallic blue body, the female of which often comes into houses searching for suitable food source on which to lay her eggs. And subtly, you wonder if Doll is talking about the feminine Miss Honey coming into Miss Trunchbull's home and or the reverse of this since Miss Trunchbull actually, as we find out much later in the book, steals Miss Honey's home from her father's will Mm -hmm. and has no desire to have children, let alone lay any eggs anywhere. And so it's an extra troubling definition to me or, or word choice of blue bottle when you pair it with how Trunchbull views little girls and presumably what she and maybe Doll believes they're supposed to destined to be when they grow up, which is certainly not at least how Matilda at six years old reads. 
So is there anything else on this point that we want to talk about before we turn to maybe our next headcanon topic? Yeah, the only other thing that I would mention is so unless our readers are a little skeptical about our, our, our reading, one of the interesting things that is worth pointing out is Miss Trunchbull is described as a former Olympian level uh, hammer thrower. But if you if you kind of look at and again, this is kind of like some of the other things that we've discussed in the past, we don't know if Dahl researched this or what he was intending. Um, but ha- women didn't throw the hammer competitively until the 1980s. This book almost certainly takes place before then. Um, it wasn't an Olympic sport until 2000, which is well after he wrote. So Miss Trunchbull was definitely not competing in women's hammer throw in our world, right? Maybe in this parallel universe she was. Um, maybe she was competing in some other Olympics entirely. Who knows? But but everything about Miss Miss Trunchbull throwing the hammer is actually kind of off because uh, she compares the hammer to similar in size to a fourth grader. That's just not the case. A women's hammer is something like eight pounds. A men's hammer is something like 16 pounds. I mean, my son hasn't weighed 16 pounds since he was like, you know, nine months or something like that so this is not um in any way an accurate description our only conclusion is that is either artistic liberties or we can create some fun headcanon around it i think and that's one of my favorite things about working with you will is that you find these beautiful historical gems that but for having you on this team I wouldn't know and our listeners wouldn't know and it's just so flipping cool. Thank you. Yeah, because as flow students show us and as we reread texts as we get older, context and historical significance can shade and often does shade a reading. And so hearing that Miss Trunchbull or Mr. Trunchbull, or just frankly Trunchbull, wouldn't Mm -hmm. have legitimately been able to compete in what she is well known for competing in. Well, either they've got like uh, port keys to get to whatever Wizarding World Stadium these Wizard Olympics are being played in, Mm -hmm. or Miss Trunchbull was competing under a pseudonym and with her perhaps self-identity being fully realized, which is why she's able to truly accomplish such fantastical feats. And so I think that's a great place for us to now turn to another fantastical element. Is Miss Trunchbull a giant? And Will, you had raised very aptly in some of our conversations how that can be problematic to Mm -hmm. analyze and how we can analyze it from a magical, whimsical standpoint. So why don't we first talk about kind of the pragmatic realities of comparing individuals to giants And then Mm -hmm. we set that aside and we put on our magical tinfoil and talk about it as if we're exclusively talking about a whimsical wizarding world. So, so yeah, so to go back, this is something that we have to approach a little carefully, um, right? Because as soon as you start describing anyone um, in a, in a text as, as an, as an other, you, you start to, you know, step up to the line of, of, of potentially being, problematic in terms of how the characters are, are used or described. And, and that's what we have to be careful about with talking about Miss Trunchbull as potentially being uh, a member of, of a giant race uh, of people. And that's not to say that 
giants don't exist in in doll of course they do uh you know we have we have the big friendly giant and he's not the only one there are at least nine others that we know of they're all men in that book but that's not to say that female giants wouldn't exist the giants kind of poo-poo it but you know they're they're kind of these these juvenile characters anyway so they what do they know so we can talk about it but at the same time that we talk about it we have to be careful because and especially with miss trunchbull because we've already been talking about her in terms of how she's presented as someone who's described as kind of this hyper-masculinized female, and that in and of itself sets her up as this kind of other, which would be the exact trap that you could potentially fall into in talking about her as as some kind of non-human. So yeah, that's something that I wanted to think about. Now that we understand issues with body autonomy, body identity, body weight, Putting that aside and respecting that real issue in the real world, recognizing that this is a literature book designed for children, entering the world of whimsy, quote, boomed the deep and dangerous voice of Miss Trunchbull. Looking at her, you got the feeling that this was someone who could bend iron bars and tear telephone dictionaries in half. And so you wonder, has she always been a famous athlete? Has she always been deep and booming? Has she always been this formidable female? Or is this a mask that she puts on like Flo? I love that Protego analogy. That's like flipping on point because quote unquote normal people cannot rip telephone books. It just doesn't happen. And it seems like, and we keep returning to this, that Roald Dahl really goes lengths and measures to make it clear to us that this is not a quote unquote normal woman. She's got extraordinary physical prowess above and beyond what you'd expect. And so what any any other takes you'd like to add to this giant test thing, because we, we see drops, even the word giant, a few times sprinkled throughout the chapters, whether it's just Doll having whimsical fantasies about her, her height and build, or whether we're getting a sneak peek into maybe Hagrid's long lost relative What's what's your take on this? Anything else to add, folks? I would just say, I think if we're considering Matilda the musical to be canon, which is a stretch. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> mm-hmm. seen it, so I, I defer. So I have. Will, have you? No, I have not. Okay. Let's I don't know where know. to start. <laughs> <laughs> um, Once upon a time, there was a musical. <laughs> first, I'll start with a trigger warning because I was mm. not given a trigger warning for the musical. Very good. Um, mm-hmm. The musical has lots of triggering themes that are not present in Matilda the book or Matilda the movie, uh, including suicide and infertility and lots of other very triggering things, which left Mm -hmm. me crying in the theater. (laughs) So um, I did not have a great experience with Matilda the musical, but we do get some very strange Miss Trunchbull, Miss Honey history in which it is stated that Miss Trunchbull was a professional hammer thrower. And somehow she went from that to being some sort of lawyer for a circus act mm-hmm. that her brother and his wife, Miss Honey's parents, were acrobats in. 
Um, and she somehow like ran the money for that or managed them. It's a little bit unclear, but basically Miss Trunchbull refused to let them out of a stunt when Miss Honey's mother became pregnant and in doing that killed Miss Honey's mother. That's it almost it's almost like someone read Matilda but was a huge fan of Batman and was like, okay, yeah. that's right. Yeah. If, if Bane could like persuade Robin's parents to do something and cause a, a like a whole thing, that's that's what I'm in. I, that's what I hear when you're telling me this. Yeah, it's it's honestly the craziest interpretation of Matilda that I've ever seen or heard. The music is incredible. Okay. I could not recommend the soundtrack more. However, the stage adaptation is not Matilda. <laughs> but we we do see a lot of the Trunchbulls just anger and ruthlessness and maybe pain. Yeah, and she ends up moving in with her brother to raise Miss Honey. She verbally and physically abuses Miss Honey. That's also a trigger warning. That's and then it's not explicitly stated, just as it's not really in the book explicitly stated, that she then kills her brother or does something to cause his demise in some way. I wonder, this can't be the case, but I talked to one of my friends based in the UK on this, and he was like, no, the musical's a delight. And I was like, I don't know about all that. <laughs> the musical was one of the most traumatic experiences of my life, to be completely honest. Um, wow. Specifically, the infertility plot line, basically, Miss Honey's parents struggle to conceive her, and they therefore made a suicide pact to create this like unattainable feat of acrobatness. And That's then wild. when she found out she was pregnant, they couldn't get out of the stunt. They performed this impossible stunt, which killed Miss Honey's mother right That's after she gave birth to her. That's called unnecessary. It was beyond <laughs> unnecessary. If you are struggling with depression, suicidal thoughts, or infertility, do not go see Matilda the Musical is my uh, PSA. Since we're on such a delicate topic, I think it would be a good place for us to take a breath, take a moment, and now consider whether Argus Filch and Miss Trunchbull shared teaching tips and behavioral correctional techniques. Now, Flo, as an educator, how often would you say corporal punishment and the chokey are used at your institution? And the, <laughs> and the chokey, correct me if I'm wrong, is the device that you put kids in and they can't escape. You leave them in for hours. Maybe they can breathe. Maybe they can't. Really doesn't matter as long as they're learning, quote unquote, a lesson. Am, am I missing something with the educational system or is that? I mean, you're missing a huge part of the chokey that involves having glass bits in the wall and right. nails. So you have to stand perfectly straight at attention so that right. you're not stabbed. Right, yeah, right, 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 right. For sure. No, no, I do not personally own a chokey. Um, they're back ordered everywhere. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I heard that that was an issue. Yeah, like, and they're not on Prime, which I'm just like, <laughs> I'm not paying for shipping, honestly. No. For this chokey. Ah. No, it's over. Jokes aside, we do not have corporal punishment, Um, at least in my school. I don't believe that we have corporal punishment in the United States. I don't believe Unless, I guess, so. you're homeschooling, mm -hmm. and then I guess it's up to you and CPS. That's between you. No, we have timeouts. We have action replay 
replay, which is where you replay something naughty that you did and replay it well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's cool. I like yeah. that. Yeah, we we try and change behavior through talking about it, through pro like promoting good behavior, class rewards. My class just filled up their marble jar, which is for good rewards. And uh, so that we're having a pajama and movie party coming up shortly. But uh, no, pretty much the worst I do is make them sit out for five minutes of recess. <sighs> I know it's rough. It's rough out there. <laughs> Flo, those are 300 seconds of freedom. I know, but you know what? Sometimes when you hit somebody, you have to sit out for a little bit. Yep. That's that's yep. just how it goes. Uh, yeah, my students were actually pretty confused about the corporal punishment bit. They'd never experienced that. Then a lot of them were telling me about their parents who grew up in other countries where there was right. corporal punishment in school. Right. So they were, you know, putting two and two together, but they were very happy that I don't hit them with rulers or anything right. like that. And I make jokes when I'm really uncomfortable and things like corporal punishment of kids makes me highly, highly uncomfortable. It's my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, she says sarcastically, that talking things out and not using corporal punishment is a more effective teaching method or am I misunderstanding that? No, that is correct. You ah, are, you are right. <laughs> Actually, um, corporal punishment was a pretty large topic in my interpersonal communication classes in college. I was a communication major and it's pretty well documented that younger parents will use corporal punishment more than older parents because they just mm. don't have the tools to talk to their children about problems or kind of keep their own emotions in check while they're dealing with difficult situations with their kids. I saw that in my own family. My parents had me not super young, but young-ish, and we definitely had a lot of spanking in my house. So <laughs> um, I have not continued that tradition with my own daughter. But I mean, I'm sure Will can chime in here too, but sometimes it's hard to keep yourself in check and sure. take a deep sure. breath when your kid's throwing a tantrum or being irrational and just remind yourself that they've only been alive for however many years, two, four, in my yep, case of my totally. students, seven years, that's not that long. And they need a no, lot of help not. to navigate the world. So yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah, but it's hard. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. Yeah, as as the non parent among the three of us, such props to you all. It's very easy as an outsider. And you see this on social media all the flipping time. Everyone has advice about everything. But until you've lived Trunchbull's life, you don't know what it's like to be misidentified. Until you don't have money to eat, you don't know what it's like to be Miss Honey offering your only biscuit to your star pupil. Until you're someone who wasn't given access or encouraged to read, you might not know what it's like to be Matilda. And so turning now to one of the least enjoyed but most loved to hate characters of Harry Potter, there's very little known about Argus Filch from his early life. We do know that he was born to at least one wizard parent sometime before 1951, somewhere in the British Isles. And despite his magical parentage, Filch was a squib, which means that he couldn't perform any magic. And some of the tie-ins that I see between Filch and Trunchbull is that he similarly disliked students and constantly hassled them over the littlest infraction and took delight, just as Trunchbull does, in doling out 
some horrible detentions and Filch, at least, wanting to do more than Dumbledore and other professors would let him do. I almost feel like Filch would tell Trunchbull she's she's got the better job because she's got more freedom to do what she wants. And so by the end of the 1970s, according to our online research, Filch had already filled at least 1,056 boxes with punishment records. So that dude is a dutiful doler of delightful horrors. And despite working at a school, just like Trunchbull, he seemed to really hate children and was universally despised by them. And that seems to be one of those unifying things in children's literature. And sometimes you see that in adult literature as well. What's your take on the Filch Trunchbull possible tie-ins or relationship? My take is if we're doing a very empathetic read of both characters is that they're, they're coming at it from a lot of frustration. I think Filch was very disappointed to not be magical. I think that caused a lot of frustration that he doesn't know where to place. I don't think that the magical world is very great at therapy. The The healers are not all about that quite yet. Not um, at all. And so he's taking it out on the kids. He's taking it out where he can exert some power that he feels pretty powerless in other aspects of his life. I think the Trunchbull similarly is taking her anger and frustration out on the kids. And I think both of them take it out on kids who are much more innocent, kind mm. of yep. to take vengeance on the innocence that they lost. I'm thinking yeah. about Silch probably seeing that he wasn't magical, probably around age, you know, eight or wherever whenever neville was on the upper edge of when he got dropped out the window right by, um, by like eight you're supposed to by 11 it's kind of too right, right right and i'm sure the trunchbull similarly probably felt normal for a long time until those differences in be it gender or body image issues started kicking in and then she probably felt very frustrated and hurt by other kids words other kids actions adults actions so I think they're, we need to be sympathetic to those characters, but also, I mean, the way they're coping is not acceptable or appropriate, but right. they were definitely sending owls to each other to trade secrets for sure. For sure. Yeah, how about, right. how about you, Will? Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. The only thing, so what I would add is I, I think you've picked up on something really interesting here, which is that these are two very, very lonely characters. They are very much, I mean, this applies more to Miss Trunchbull than to Argus Filch, but Miss Trunchbull as Miss Honey's aunt kind of reminds me of the lonely aunt in Victorian literature, like a Miss Havisham or something like that. She's a little different than, than that, but a lot of those characters are, they have interesting relationship with the protagonist and Miss Trunchbull is is kind of like that to an extreme in this, this school setting where she can kind of take out her built up anger and frustration out on the kids and Filch is kind of the same way. So the idea that they would maybe find an outlet for their loneliness by commiserating with each other and trading tips on corporal punishment is, is pretty interesting. Yeah. And I, I think this was another vocab moment to maybe tie up this arbiter of punishments, if you will. Mm -hmm. I believe that her name, Trunchbull, might be a merger of the word truncheon, which is a British word meaning a police officer's stick or billy club, and bull, or bully, because one, she does bully students, she is bullheaded, 
and bulls, artistically speaking, in literature speaking, it's very much, uh, very much a masculine word. And so I wonder if, like many authors do, having fun with words, clumping together this bully, masculine, female police officer of Cruncham Hall. What do you two take on that take? I think that's really apt. Definitely it fits. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you've completely, I think you've picked up on how much Dahl likes to engage in some wordplay, especially in all of this physical language that you're describing. The the truncheon is is a, literally a, what it's like a, it's like a weighted lead like stick basically that like that's that used that's used to beat people you know trunchbull at a crunchum hall where they, they, these kids are basically sent not to learn but to have uh you know obedience beaten into them for for lack of a better word so yeah no absolutely i think you're exactly right i will say the name agatha i just looked it up right now it means good woman which what i'm not sure dichotomy right i'm not sure if you know, Roald Dahl is being facetious in calling her Agatha, or if she was a good woman who has just been hurt one too many times or five too many times. Excellent. And I think that is a wonderful point to end our character study on one of the most formidable and perhaps formally unknown characters, Agatha Trunchbull. much for joining us to talk about chapter eight miss trunchbull we recorded this before everything with the coronavirus happened so we hope that everyone is practicing safe social distancing washing our hands and we're looking forward to breaking down some independent study things that you can do if you have younglings at home Tomorrow, we plan on dropping a new Clone Wars episode to talk about Chapter 4. And next week, hopefully as early as Monday, thank you again for your patience. We'll be exploring Chapter 9, the parents all together. So until next time, we're all together. Keep geeking out with us on Instagram at Bohemian Geek Studies on Twitter at Geek Studies, and you can always, always, always email us a picture, thought, or question of you and your younglings enjoying books and fandoms via auto-recording or text at bohemiangeekstudies at gmail.com. We may even include you in a future episode or featured on one of our pages. Most importantly, tell your friends about this podcast and have them join the fun. As we find new ways to enjoy fandoms and teach one another during unprecedented times, wands up and keep those pages turning. <laughs> <laughs>